contemplative, 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 contemplative podcast. Hi, I'm Matt Emery and you're listening to the Contemplative Classical Podcast. In this episode, I popped into Mercury KX to have a chat with composer Luke Howard about his latest releases, scoring for strings, his studio setup in Melbourne, the Australian music scene, what he's listening to at the moment and what he's got coming up in 2019. If you're quick, you can catch him playing at Bush Hall in London on Tuesday 20th of November. You can also listen to some snippets of his music throughout this podcast, including his tracks Him, Elysian Fields, Remembering My Childhood from his latest album Open Heart Stories, and Bauer and this track Open, taken from his upcoming EP More Heart Stories, available next month on Mercury KX. Congrats with your new album, Open Heart Story. Um, maybe you could tell us a bit more about the process and the inspirations behind it. Certainly. Um, well, I wrote. I was pretty depressed when I wrote most of it. So, <laughs> in that sense, it's kind of the um, writing experience is uh, it's kind of kind of forgotten about most most of it. I mean, that had the the positive side that did make me quite calm and reflective. Um, but. Uh, uh, without going into too much of my, I won't go into too much of my personal life because I'm sure that's not going to be very interesting <laughs> and very voyeuristic. But um, uh, suffice to say, I mean, they are some of the themes that were kind of you know running through through my head at the time. But um, process-wise, like most of my records, it really starts with just improvising on the piano, and um, that's. Uh, I think that's in part because I'm extremely lazy and that's the fastest way to write music. And uh, I, it's also because that's my background. I mean, I studied jazz, not composition. And I wish I could, um, you know, I wish I could sit in front of Sibelius and just, you know, uh, convey, you know, convey thoughts from on high onto the yeah. page. And it's, and I'm sure not even real composers don't turn out with fully fleshed out pieces, you know, <laughs> from the start. But, um, uh Improvising is yeah, it's kind of my crutch for for, for composing, and uh, I suppose I've I've learned to embrace it. I mean, obviously, when I'm writing for strings, uh, there's a fair bit of ed- editing and arranging that goes on, and I, in a way, part of that's just like, um, you know, I feel it. Sometimes I feel if I haven't really sweated on something, you know, maybe it's maybe it's no good. Uh, so with the with the stuff that's for strings, I mean, there may be a, it may come from an improvisation. In fact, on the record, you can hear both versions of some of the tunes. But um, uh, but there's a fair bit of uh, you know sweat to get it to the orchestral version. And uh, in those cases, I kind of you know when when I get to the point where I'm putting things in and then taking them out again, that's kind of how I know it's done. Yeah. Um, but the improvisations otherwise would really just as as recorded you know i had an idea i had a little a4 piece of paper with just some drawn out manuscripts like to, with just one or two bar ideas which i mean you can hear because some of the stuff is quite repetitive yeah and i recorded a day of well less than a day of improvising um uh and then i just picked the you know picked the tracks that sounded strongest and cool. yeah that, that was that 
Cool. I know we've we've just touched on strings there. I'd love to know a bit more about how you write, because obviously you're not just a pianist, you you write for many instruments, but how do you go about the string arrangements? Do you sit and compose it on a piano, or do you sit and compose it on paper, or synths, or how does uh, that kind of come Well, because I think as, certainly my approach to playing the piano, which is really have some early... Uh, well, not early. I, I have my piano teachers in university, thank for this, and... Um, and also, you know, just playing a, a crap load of Bach and stuff. Um, have a pretty contrapuntal approach to improvising on the piano. So, you know, often those, um, often that's a pretty good starting point. Like it's a bit less block chordy than it might otherwise be. You know, we joke about the claw on the piano player. They just, you know, just dump their hand on that. Yeah. And it often makes for pretty boring uh Pretty pretty boring arrange, arrangements for other for other, other larger ensembles. Um, so that was a good point. Like if you listen to um, him, like there's a fair bit of inner voices even on the piano version. So I kind of used that as a starting point. Then I just thought, and then I just dump. I kind of transcribed the piano part, dump it into Sibelius, which is a um, you know piece of software for uh, not- notating music, and then. Uh, then I kind of just sort of draw in those individual voices, and cool. then, then I kind of think about, all right, is that, um, is that interesting? Like, uh, I mean, okay, it's probably not going to be the most um, dense contrapuntal work, but is it is it is each line interesting enough in itself? Yeah, and uh, also like, which is the other classic problem with piano players, uh, sort of transliterating their arrangements. Uh, does everyone have to be playing at the same time? And the answer to that's usually no. So then <laughs> I try and use, particularly with music, pieces like him and I Still Dream About You, which are very, it's really just two bars repeated for the whole thing. I mean, that's pretty boring. So if you don't use dynamics and and density of instrumentation to make it interesting, then it's not going to be perhaps so rewarding for the listener. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of, I sort of just like polishing a stone or sculpture or something. I, I, once I've got the framework in into Sibelius then I'm just kind of you know polishing it and listening back and then moving things around and uh, I find that a lot easier uh, once you once you've got once you know the beginning middle and end of the pieces I mean yeah that's kind of well is it the fun bit I don't know but it's, it's a lot easier because it's problem solving and a lot of music isn't problem solving it's like staring out into a, into the void <laughs> and that's scary because you just don't know when you you don't know when you've started when you're in the middle or when you're finished but once you've got the piece written then you can kind of just you know you've got the frame you're just hanging things on a, a frame that's yeah. already there then that's that's a lot easier cool so um, I know you've got your own studio space in Melbourne. Is it Melbourne? I do, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. recently you, completed. Awesome. Yep. Can you tell us a bit more about sort of what you've got and the setup and things yeah. that kind of help create the Luke Howard sound? I mean, I've, I should say that it's um, uh, pretty recently completed. I've just been there this year, so nothing, yeah, really nothing that's out has, was ever record, has been recorded or mixed there. And um, uh, before that, I was just working out of a extremely uncomfortable bedroom tripping over things and breaking bits of I mean I think I realized once I was tripping over so much stuff and breaking bits of gear that I cared about that it was time to well, it was almost more expensive to stay at home yeah um and yeah I mean I've always been a fan of going somewhere to record stuff as well like even the piano stuff on open heart story uh was recorded uh, even though it was recorded in an upright um, in an in a, in a apartment room that's probably smaller than my current studio, um, uh, 
there's something about going somewhere a bit uncomfortable and a bit unfamiliar um, and also with someone else to take care of the engineering, although, of course, I can invite someone to my place. Yeah. But there's something about creating an occasion that makes you maybe just a little bit of the good nervous that can get more of a performance out yeah. of you, whereas I feel that sometimes when I record at home, I mean, it's the classic thing. You know, it's no problem if I've got a deadline, but if I don't have a deadline and you have the opportunity to do like one gazillion takes, you really have to know how to manage your time and the sort of psychology behind recording to not just end up with like, you know, 50 hours of stuff that sort of kind of sounds okay, but is maybe getting progressively worse, but even (laughs) the first one wasn't that good. Yeah. Um, And then I suppose you've also got to worry, you've got half your mind on the piano playing and half your mind on sort of controlling everything else. If you're going into another studio, you just... Exactly. Mind on one thing, I suppose. Yeah, I find that. I mean, that's the thing. As I said, I went into a room with an upright, which was a really beautiful piano, but I've, you know, I also have a half-decent upright in my studio and... In theory, I could have done that at home, um, but it was good to be somewhere else. Um, it just focus, you know, it just focuses the mind, I think, um, and it's particularly with improvising because you're really trying to get that take where you know the I- ideas are cohesive and it's got a you know a nice arc and all that stuff. If you're playing a part that's already written, then maybe sort of, I mean, it can create different pressures, but it sort of does take the pressure off because then you just need to get one good take of the dots in the page. Yeah. Um, but I'm digressing from your question as usual, which was about the space itself. It's um, look, it's pretty straightforward. It's it's unlike most studios, is filled with a lot of natural light, so that makes it quite quite pleasant to work in. Um, and uh, you know, look, I, it's easy to turn into a gearhead. So I was kind of clear uh, clear up front that I wanted to make it you know, have limited space for all that stuff. Yeah. So really it's just a room. It's about 30 square metres uh, and I've just got my piano upright in the corner and then just a desk with, um, you know, a computer, which is really where I spend most of the time. Um, and uh, probably the, be- the best things about it, it's reasonably well isolated from the rest of the world. So it's, for the most part, quite quiet. And I find, I mean, this is going from working in a bedroom where I could never escape the noise of the city. Um, So that's really nice just for hearing yourself think and got a nice pair of speakers and, um, you know, it's sort of reasonably well treated, although for a purpose-built room it's still got a few funny frequencies where you move your head and the note just disappears and then it becomes (laughs) super boomy. So there's still a little work to do. But, uh, you know, as I'm sure anyone will tell you in a similar situation, the biggest thing is just having somewhere to go. Yeah. You know, separation that's that's good and I feel that like when I'm done for the day I'm done I'm going to go home I've got no internet at home now because I only wanted to have one bill to pay um, go home and there's basically nothing to do except for sleep or maybe you know watch Family Guy on my phone or something so I'm enjoying the separation of the two and uh, and yeah it's it's been been good composers i wonder how i wondered how that came to how you came to 
sort of work with them and meet those guys? Um, I think the first contact, maybe they found some music on a Spotify playlist or something, um, or a trend, you know, trending thing, something. Yeah. So uh, I think it was Portrait Gallery, a piece which will be the end of me. <laughs> it's, the, it's the, you know, I'm glad I put, I threw that on SunCloud, the record in which it's on, but um, uh, sometimes I feel that that's like the, I mean, it's great, but I, you know, I wrote some other pieces. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they got, uh, they got in touch. Oh, would it be? almost a couple of years ago and then it just took a little while to get things uh get things sorted um and you know like with a lot of those things i mean i'm sure i probably emailed universal which which um uh, uh which mercury is kx is part of i would have you know cold emailed them a few years ago and <laughs> i mean but those things just never just never works basically like with all these kind of relationships same with the publisher and booking agent you just have to wait for them to come to you and that when it's ready it'll happen other than that, or you need kind of an introduction, a trusted introduction. Cold calling is just really, just doesn't work. I mean, yeah. you're lucky if you get a reply. Occasionally, I get, you know, when I call, I've cold called agents or booking agents, you, if you get a reply, that's quite a, you, you should consider yourself lucky. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess from my perspective, I just felt Melbourne had kind of hit a bit of a ceiling, uh, you know, doing it all independently. I mean, obviously, like anything, there's, uh, um, I should be careful saying this, given that we're in Mercury's offices. But there's, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages on all sides for all all of the different business models of music. But uh, for me, this was that was the right one at this time. Cool, cool. Um, love to speak about live, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, yep. Obviously, you've played some shows in many many different countries over the last few years. Is there any shows or any spaces that have really stuck out over that time? Yeah, look, at the start of the year, I did a couple of gigs in. Russia, where um, for logistical reasons, I, d- I didn't bring any kind of gizmos, so no laptop, and there was no amplification in the room, so that kind of also made it a simple decision. And playing solo piano acoustically was, a, in a way, it was a great relief because I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of years trying to make you know the live set a bit more texturally in- interesting with mm. you know having some trimming some bass sounds with my feet and having some processing and all that stuff, which is all great. And I think it can help make the show a little more engaging than... uh, I mean, it can be a challenge to make a solo piano show engaging over a certain time, like over about 45 minutes. But um, uh, Although it can be done. Um, So, you know, that stuff's great, but then it's also a bit of a cognitive load because you're always like, you know... What is this? Do I remember what this knob's assigned to, and all of these things? And yeah, it was great to just play an acoustic show where I didn't have to, you know, what, it was more challenging in some respects, but also it was a relief <laughs> in others. And I, in some respects, I'm kind of keen to get keen to get back to get back to that. Um, other shows, uh, you know, it's always the it's always the shows that are great are often it's always a surprise you know yeah. it's often and it's usually for me and I'm, it'd be no surprise to any piano players listening the instrument has a big part of it because as a pianist you play different instruments you know every gig and some of them are terrible and some of them are great and i've noticed pretty much at least when i have a good time it's because the instrument's in tune and it's and it's it's kind of draws the music out of you yeah and conversely i know like i did one in melbourne just before i left where i i kind of struggled because the piano was pretty out of tune and i knew of course you know you can't i mean you just got to push through it and 
it's always interesting, like from the general audience punter, they can't, often can't tell the difference, which <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's like, you know, they thought it was a good gig. For me, it was hard because yeah. every note I played was like out of tune pretty much. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, and then, in, yeah, I guess just generally in terms of venues, I played at the Hamburg Alp Philharmonie last year and I'm playing there again in a few weeks. And I mean, that's just, you know, that's a killer venue. That's a place yeah. where the dressing rooms are better. The pianos in the dressing rooms are better than the, <laughs> the piano, any of the instruments you're going to see on any 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 of the gigs for the, for the rest of the year. Yeah. But, um, you know, but it's a bit like the Blues Brothers. I haven't had anyone throwing tomatoes at me yet. But, um, <laughs> but I've also done a lot of, you know, yeah. done gigs in pubs and keyboards with, you know, 20 people in the audience as well. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty there's, a, there's a wide berth between yeah. good and bad. And, and approaching the um, sort of some of the tracks on your albums that are more string-based, do you have other versions of them that you can play on the piano or how yeah. do you approach them? I mean, if, if, if they're pieces that did start off as piano improvisations, then I kind of just go back to those versions. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, it is a bit of a ongoing thing about how to make the how to reconcile the two things because it's just this, uh, the, the straight answer is that actually having string players live is something I can't I just can't afford to do very often yeah. because it's a lot of warm bodies on stage that want to be paid as they should be professional wages because you know then it's not their project <laughs> um, so yeah um, I have a couple I don't really like to use anything pre-recorded because I mean it's kind of turns into karaoke a bit I mean I've got a couple of for one piece, I have like a drone that I that is from the album that I kind of use. But um, yeah, I, I guess I just play. I've got enough records which I can pick pieces that don't have strings on, or the, the, there's a piano version. Um, I think in, a, in the future it'd be kind of interesting to do, start writing tunes with a live thing in mind first, and then kind of turn that into yeah. a record because then that would, would be, well, it's always good to mix approaches up, and also that would eliminate that particular. A particular issue I mean I'd love to do you know it'd be great to, if there's some festival with like a massive budget that wants to feature well not a retrospective but you know wants to play all the great, greatest hits with a with a with a 30 piece string orchestra I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely up for it um, but you know in the interim it's just about making it work and I think that's you know like occasionally people are like at the end of the gig at the merch desk what which record's that piece on and you're like well it's kind of on this one but it's slightly different version you know but i mean i don't think anyone's ever no one's ever returned a record because you know <laughs> it had a different the instrumentation was slightly different cool i think it's nice to have some variation sometimes i think it just shows a bit more depth as well it's yeah i mean for me the practicalities of it have to overall everything because you know, ultimately, I'll just run out of my run out of run out of savings if I <laughs> if I keep trying to you know pay pay six piece even, or even smaller string sections. Yeah. like in Australia can you recommend us any awesome musicians that you're enjoying or that yeah, look, we might not be aware of I reckon in this genre there's not it's still yeah it's maybe burgeoning kind of scene I mean the ob, Sophie Hutchings the ob, obvious yeah. person um, 
but people that you wouldn't have heard of um, is my friend Nat Barsh, who I've produced a couple of records of, and she made a record of lullabies recently. Um, uh, I think it's called Forever and No Time at All, which is what she wrote. She wrote it for a child, and it's um, uh, kind of about the passage of time and that, that cool. experience. But um, that's that's really nice. She's also sort of a bit of a jazz refugee, as I am. Um, but... Uh, uh, and I mean, it's, you know, a band like the Necks is probably, I don't know if you know those guys, the no. piano trio from, they've been around since the late, no, since the early 90s. They were kind of playing this music since, you know, and it's completely improvised. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of Australia's greatest musical yeah. exports, I think. And it's, um, uh, there's really nothing, there's nothing like them. Um, uh, and Brambles, I don't know if you've checked yeah, yeah. him out. I mean, yeah, there's no, also Brambles. his you know, a fairly reclusive chap. So it took me a while. I was really surprised when I found out he was actually living in Melbourne. Um, I think he, he lived in London for a bit as well. But uh, so he's also, you know, he's incredible. Um, and then I think for me, it's more like some of the electronic music. There's uh, Anatole, who's also Mercury KX. Yeah. Um, and there's a band no longer playing. There's a band called Isles, which is um, a bit sort of Boards of Canada y kind of yeah. vibes. They're. Uh, they're really great and Simon Lamb who's was one of the brains behind it I feel is like uh, everything he touches turns to gold so anything he's involved with is is good and um, uh, there's a new band called No Mono that's also pretty interesting but that's all this is all getting more into the pop pop you know cool. pop world um, yeah which might be outside your listeners uh, <laughs> listenership Oh, no, we're always open to, yeah, okay. to, to <laughs> anything. Um, we'll, we'll kind of stay on the same theme. It's always interesting to know what other composers' records that other composers like. Is there anything that's really inspired you or you really enjoyed over the last year or so? That's been yeah, used? I have to check my, um, actually, look at my Spotify. <laughs> it's the hardest uh, question It is the, it is the hardest so question, yeah. Because so actually think of certain things that stick out, I know. Is yeah, always. inevitably you, you think of who you should have mentioned yeah. um, when you... Uh, when you when you when the interview's done, I mean, I, I do make mixtape like just playlist of things to listen to as I'm going out through each going through each year. So that's yeah. um, uh, I mean, you know, I should say that I love every you know all of the obvious candidates that don't need to be named <laughs> um, in this genre. I love you know I love all their their music and that's and I'm no bones of that. I mean, that was really my way discovering those guys. Like um, you know, not just. Max Richter and Niels and those guys, but also Nico Mulli and um, that kind of Brooklyn uh, or New York scene. That that was my way out of uh, kind of out of the jazz world, like out of yeah. trying to be Keith Jarrett. So discovering <laughs> their music was really uh, important to me. And also, yeah, I mean, all the guys in the bedroom community, like Daniel Bjarnason and Ben Frost. I mean, their music's maybe not directly. Uh, like you perhaps can't hear a direct influence, but I think they're particularly Daniel and I think is probably the most interesting classical composer mm. about. I mean, I've he's like a genius mind from the you know early twentieth century. I don't think many people have the brain to write that kind of yeah. classical music anymore. Um, but you know, let's see. What have I been listening to? <laughs> what have I been listening to lately? Uh, um, I have been listening to Daniel Brandt's new record. Yeah. Uh, and Michael Price's. Um, and, yeah, going through a bit of a choir phase, not just because they seem to be, like, so hot right now, but um, 
I'm writing some music for a short film and the director's very enamoured with the idea of having a choir on it, so I'm doing a bit of research. Okay. So listening to, like, yeah, I'm just going through the list here, like Eric Eric's Essenvals and John Tavener and obviously Arvo Pert um, and those, those guys. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there's anything... Yeah, look, I, I don't think there's, uh, there's anything I can really say. It's like my discovery of the last year that your listeners wouldn't already have heard of. Yeah. Um, but if I think of that before the end of the interview, I'll let you know. <laughs> Unknown patient. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd yep. love to know some more about that. Obviously, I was watching the trailer online. Yeah, and it looks really cool. Yeah, that was um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, um, also, because I mean, VR is even though this was and I, I learned this new expression it was on rails, which means that it, it 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 happened mostly on a timeline, so you could approach it kind of like scoring for a film, but um, but. Generally, it's a bit more like writing for a game where you know yeah. you've got to have things that can be looped and you just don't know. Because I was like, you know, if you just sit there and you don't do anything, and I'm pretty, I'm I was a good person to test this on because I'm pretty clear, you know, obvious things. So like, you know, you have to pick up this coin to move to the next level. I will just sit there and <laughs> and wait for wait for something <laughs> to happen. So. You know, it's like how long? Uh, how long can you? How much music do you need for someone like me that will just sit there until um, they force you to the next, the next scene? And I'm guessing a lot. Yeah. Well, actually, I think I, um, I don't know how much. It didn't feel like it was too much music, but um, and you know, as probably every media composer, yourself included, will tell, will 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 note. You know, in the final mix, you're like, where were? Where's my music gone? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of sound design, a lot of other stuff in there as well. Um, uh, but, yeah, look, I had a... I wrote the music to a kind of 3D model because they did, like, motion capture where they had the actress, yeah. an actor, um, uh, um, uh, you know, reading the, reading the script, but all I had was kind of uh, polygon sort of rendered version. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess uh, that wasn't that's yeah that's that's not perhaps not quite as inspiring as like seeing a, the final product or seeing a yeah. film that's been you know edited and color graded and stuff. But so I guess I concentrated more on the the mood and also you know the dialogue. Um, uh, and yeah, look, it's a while ago that I seem to have forgotten exactly what I did, but it was fairly and again I guess because it did call for it, it was fairly dro- you know droney and. Uh, because I was trying to do it in, uh, quickly and on a budget, I did a fair bit of recycling. I think one thing I found is that, like having done a few records and stuff, now I do have, and also uh, like relationships with a few musicians that I like to play with, particularly as a guitarist, a drummer, and a violinist that I have used on a lot of projects. And now I have like little libraries of stuff that didn't get As, used yeah. and stuff, and. Um, I mean, usually, you know, I'll try, if it's something significant, we'll try and clear it with them and 
give them the chance to re-record it if they want. Um, But that stuff's been good because it's a bit like having a sample library, even though I'm just really cutting up bits of audio straight into into Pro Tools. But um, that's... You know, it's something that you've got that's like that no one else has. So it can be part of your sonic signature, even if it's, um, you know, all you told them to play was like C sharp minor for two minutes or something. So the score for for the unknown patient was kind of assembled from a lot of those things. And then you know, like there was one bit where they needed some extra stuff for the end bit or something, and I was on tour and I just didn't have, you know, I didn't have the tools. I had, so it was like, what can I make with Ableton and all of its built-in sounds, you know. So those kind of, like with all things, when you've got crazy constraints, sometimes that, and you have to get something done overnight in a hotel room, then sometimes that um, uh, that that can work really well. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty small amount of music, so I don't think there'll be a soundtrack. I, I doubt there's going to be a soundtrack <laughs> record. And and finally, what else have you got coming up? I know there's quite a few things from some live dates. Um, there's more music to be released than what. You know what, what else is coming up and going into 2019? Uh, so yeah, I've got a few gigs. Um, depending on when this podcast comes out, uh, some of them may already have uh, yeah. may already have happened. But yeah, over November um, in Europe and UK, and some of the yes, going back to Open Heart Story and all the piano tracks. Um, some of the tracks that didn't make it, uh, in part because I I don't know at the time when I was listening back through them, I, mean, I didn't think they were that good, and then after. You know, after a year or so, and I went back and listened. I was like, "These are actually not too bad." And I had I had also sneakily gone back to the same studio uh, later later last year and done some re- more recording. So there's a a, um, a six track EP, EP inventing inventively called um, inventingly called I don't even know what the right ad, adverb is. Um, uh, more heart stories that'll be out on the seventh of December. Uh, Cool. just on Spotify so and Apple Music of course and all of the other platforms um, <laughs> and uh, what I meant to say is there will be no physical release of it and uh, so there's that and then uh, yeah I'm just finishing some music for a film um, a short film that a friend of mine's made and uh, that started off as like a 50 minute short film and then got edited down to a much more typical short film uh, length, but suffice to say, I ended, because of that, I wrote a lot more music than uh, than ended up being used. So I'm certainly hoping there's going to be some kind of you know soundtrack yeah. outcome for that. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, otherwise, well, you know, I can I can put some hours away to experience, but I'd really like some of that music to, yeah. to be shared. And that's yeah, it's got um yeah some really beautiful. There's actually almost no piano on it except for a little bit of prepared piano. It's got chamber organ and. Uh, great string string quartet of some young Melbourne players that you know I feel that players in their early twenties that's when if they're studying that's like that's when they're going to do the most practice. You may not have the same degree of life experience, but you're probably going to have a better attitude and better chops than you know someone that's been playing an orchestra for twenty years yeah. and wants just wants to get a paycheck. I mean that's a massive generalisation, but <laughs> there is an enthusiasm there which is great. Uh, and shards are going to be singing some stuff on it as well. Oh, so uh, yeah, it should be. I think it's going to be good. But you know, the proof will be in the, the proof will be in the master. Cool. Lovely stuff. Well, thank you ever so much. Good luck. Thanks, with Matt. Coming Cheers. Up.